Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Chivas del Norte podcast. My name is Varro, and with me tonight are the CDN crew, Luis, Rigo, and Flo. But this season, we promise you guys extra content, and tonight we have on the podcast the voice of Chivas in English, Antelemundo, Carlos Justis. Welcome to the Chivas del Norte podcast. Hey, how are you guys? Nice. Nice to be here. I, it sounds sounds so official. The, the, the voice of Chivas. I mean, I'm just the guy that tells you who's in and who's out on the on the sub. Hey, we got. I want to hype you I up. I want man. an intro like that. <laughs> I'm making an intro like that. That was a cool intro, man. I never got one like that. I've been working on it on, on all day, man. Did you write that down. What happened? Did you, did you write that down? Nah, that's off, off the top of the dome. Come on, man. That's a freestyle. I would have wrote that. I would have wrote that down. So one take, one take, one take. I would have wrote So I would have wrote that. While Rara was looking at the mirror, practicing that. <laughs> um, Carlos, what's up, man? Thank you for uh, joining us on the podcast tonight. Yeah, really. I'm really excited. I mean, I'm, I'm excited that when we had soccer back, even with all the problems that you know COVID has brought to this season. And really excited that Telemundo actually uh, was able to to be collaborating with Chivas now and and this new this new endeavor that we got of bringing uh, Mexican soccer in English. I mean, it's something that it, it's not that it's not being being done before, but for us it's, it's a big deal because at least it's the first time that we're 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 taking a full plunge on it. Yeah, well, we were we were. Excited. I was excited. Hold on, I was excited to, for it to be back on Telemundo also. It's one of the, the the better networks that I enjoy listening to. So, congratulations on that. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, it's been. I mean, it's been a long ride with the company. I started with the company in 2010, so I've, I've been with the company for 10 years. So, yeah, it's, uh, I've I've been through the ups and downs with Mexican soccer here when the uh, Premier League got there. So, so it is really exciting. Yeah, for me, like at least for me, this is Rigo. Like, it's just all the other. Latino stations in the U.S. when they cover Chivas, it just feels like it's an anti-Chivas transmission. <laughs> so I like Telemundo because I mean, first of all, I grew up on Andres Santos. Like we all did, we all did. Yeah, and Emmanuel Sol, it doesn't feel anti-Chivas at all. Um, so I was happy that, that, that they're, they're on Telemundo. And, I mean, NBC probably has one of the better English uh, soccer broadcasts in the country. So it, it, it was it was refreshing to see that they made a, a good decision. Yeah, and the application, the, the NBC app, is so easy to use, too. Yeah, I mean, uh, obviously, having being on the same platform and having a, a, a sister company on, on NBC and, and everything that NBC Sports does, it, it does help. It, it brings. It, it, it. I think it, it brings the quality of, of what we do and and what we want to accomplish also up. Because even though we're we're sisters, we also want to show them that you know we know how to do things right. And, and Telemundo, we, we have a standard of doing of doing things a certain way. And on the broadcast, how you how you guys were saying, uh, I I'm actually originally from I'm from Mexico City. I moved to the states when I was uh, 16, 17 years old. That's why also you hear that heavy accent sometimes. <laughs> but I mean, I mean, Andres Cantor is is the legend of sports, right? And being able to work closely with him first off screen and then on screen with him, I've learned a lot from him. I I, I have to say he's one of the my teachers uh, definitely in, in in this career. And then also, I mean, Manuel, Manuel is is such a character and such an easy person to get along with, and everything that he brings from being on the national team and and all his time in Chivas, and of course like. The one game that everybody remem- remembers him for like, it's that beating Boca Juniors four to zero. So, who better than him to actually be be part of the voice of, of Chivas? Let me just say, I love Manuel Sol. I love him as a player, as a, yeah. as a Chivas fan. I feel like I don't want to say he's like undervalued, but I, sometimes I feel like he's unappreciated enough. Like I love him as a player, and maybe because Ramon Morales was there, uh, and there was other great players, and his position isn't as like uh, like. Like one of those fancy positions, maybe he got overlooked. But I love Manuel Sol. I mean, he has great, he has great hair. <laughs> that was always, that was always good. Uh, I mean, 
yeah, you Carlos. can never, you, Carlos, you can never tell Ma Manuel that he, the, the good hair Manuel Sol was was definitely underrated. <laughs> oh yeah, he has, he has he has some of the best hair in the league. Uh, when he played, have you listened to our our podcast? I mean, just like you you guys did a little research uh, on me, I I did a little research on you, and okay. not only that, but I, I I think we we've been following each other maybe not too long, but. You guys were obviously the official voice of Chivas in the U.S. in English for a while. Oh, look at that. Oh, yeah. Clip that, Thank clip you. that and we're going to use it every week. No, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just, because we're, we're pretty laid back on the show. So, I mean, although, you know, we're, we're this is a quote-unquote interview, it, it's, it's just more like conversation. Um, so, I, I you know, we don't want you to think that, like, we're just going to hear drill you with questions. It's more just, you know, just conversation and... Uh, and that's why I, that's why I asked you to listen before because we're we're pretty laid back and, and just we'll say a lot of off the cuff stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, we're, I'm I'm glad you're on. Uh, we we're, were happy to have you. So um, I think Vara can can, can kind of kick off the uh, quote unquote interview portion, or we can start to get to know you a little bit a little bit more. Yeah, I've, I've never actually we've. Uh... Uh, we've kind of interviewed people on the pod before, but it's always like Rigo said, laid back and stuff. So we usually <laughs> ease people in with these three questions. So I'm going to start. It is a Chivas podcast. You don't have to mm -hmm. say Chivas, but uh, we're going to start <laughs> off with uh, Carlos. What's your favorite Mexican soccer club? So the answer to that one is really funny um, because I don't have one. Oh, okay. Um, no, I am not kidding you. <laughs> The, the reason the reason for it is that uh, some people who might not know my my dad's an actor. He was in Salo Gigante for 15 years, but he's uh, most well known for. We have the same name. Mm -hmm. So by being a, a comedy actor and being an actor in Mexico, you know that most actresses usually date soccer players. So my dad was a soccer groupie. He had so many friends that were soccer players that me growing up, it didn't make a difference. There was Cruz Azul players at the house. There was Pumas players at the house. There was America players at the house. And then growing up, I had. Uh, Miguel Herrera was my neighbor and then uh, Potro Gutierrez was my neighbor so that kind of stuff made me not really like follow a specific team and more of like the people who I knew right and obviously working in this it, it becomes even stronger because a lot of your friends start moving around for example I have a really good relationship with Alex Diego Alex Diego is a Pumas player who, who's now the Querétaro coach so you always want your friends to do well Obviously now Manuel Sol is a friend of mine, and most of my family is actually from Guadalajara, so there's a lot of Chivas around me. And I mean, things are the way they are. Chivas and America are the two biggest teams. Chivas is the most well beloved, and that's just how it is, and that's how you recognize it. But in my in my particular case, funny enough, I technically grew up as a Pumas fan, and then I played for Cruz Azul, so those are the closest I have to it. But I never, I was never really like really into a team. That's interesting, interesting, especially being from Mexico that you don't have like a team. I just want to ask if Miguel Herrera was your neighbor, he ever yell at you? <laughs> no. <laughs> However, the, the funniest story, the funniest Miguel Herrera story I have, uh, my dad will play a pickup game on Wednesday mornings uh, with some some other actors, uh, people who were in, in media. And sometimes uh, soccer players will come, will come over or ex-soccer players, depending on where they were in life. And one day, Miguel came to play the pickup with my, with my dad, and they're getting ready, and everybody gets, like, you know how pickup games are. Like, you have the guys that are, like, super formal. They wear, like, full-on uniforms. They had a full kit with <laughs> shin guards and everything. Yeah. I mean, Miguel was wow. not even wearing socks. Like, they had, like, he was wearing, like, the smaller socks. And my dad's like, Miguel, are you going to play in those socks? And he's like, Carlitos, let me tell you something. Here, the one who does the hard tackles is me. <laughs> he, wasn't, he wasn't lying either <laughs> he wasn't lying either that's so cool that's pretty cool that players get together like that you like sometimes they retire and you probably like just think they don't play anymore but that's awesome that's pretty cool that they do yeah no there's a i mean and there's a lot of places where they do that actually uh after my timing because as soon as i play up to third division um, when I got retired by my father or my, by my parents from professional soccer, uh, they were like, you have to study, go study something that is productive and you're going to do well in life. And then I decided to go on television, which was a fantastic idea. Um, <laughs> when parents I was, know best. I know, right? So <laughs> when we were doing, when we were doing that, 
I we actually started playing a pickup game where Jesus Ramirez, the the coach who brought uh, the the Sol Vicente, right? Yeah, Chucho Ramirez was friends with my dad, and and he invited us to a pickup game, and there was a lot of ex Pumas, ex Cruz Azul players on on that, like El Bonini Vasquez Ayala, El Pareja Lopez father um, Miguel Mejia Barón there, there was a lot of people there yeah Nacho Ambriz which actually he ended up coaching me for a, a good span of like four or five months after in a different team mm-hmm. and you could, I mean even if I didn't get to play I would just love it because even even though I had to wake up on a Sunday at like seven in the morning these guys were there like they were always in shape and their touch is immaculate they could be 60 years old like Chucho El Muro was at the time and those balls would just be so precise that it was like so much fun to watch I feel like that's every. I feel like that's every Sunday league. It's like the oldest players have like the perfect passes. <laughs> the experience, experience. Yeah, it's the experience. Damn, that sounds awesome. Just playing random pickup games with Mexican retired Mexican soccer players. That's dope. Yeah, I mean that's actually one of the reasons why I was able to um, do what I do now, um, which came by chance. This, this is not something I ever thought I was gonna be doing. It was not one of my dreams. My biggest dream was obviously becoming a professional soccer player, and I got caught up when I was 15 years old. So then I had to figure out, you know, what what was coming next. Mm-hmm. But that engagement and and being able to be with soccer players since that was four or five years. Carlos Hermosillo, who's now working with us, uh, I met him when I was six, seven, uh, and oddly enough, now we work together. So it's one of those things where I feel like that was one of the things that drew me into doing what I'm doing more by 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 chance and by actual like dream yeah that's 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 really cool man so now i don't know if you're gonna have an answer for this question now because you, you know you, you you grew up playing soccer with so many soccer players who's who's your favorite uh soccer player of all time well to be to, to be fair growing up in mexico because i had like i had like three faces of who were my favorite player the first one was actually Hermosillo because since I had that close relationship with him and we will go watch him play in the actual stadium and sometimes like even on the field. And at that point, he was, a, I mean, he's the leading scorer in history, the Mexican with the most goals in the history of the Mexican League. So, of course, he was, you know, a force to be reckoned with. And so I grew up like the first, my first attachment to soccer was, oh, I want to be like Carlos. Once I started playing, like actually playing, I was not a forward, I was a central defender. So I moved away from that, and in Mexico, the guy who became the the guy I wanted to be with it was Rafa Marquez. Like I oh I saw him, and I was like, if I ever play professionally, that's that's the guy I want to be. And then obviously he moved to France when he was 19 years old, and so playing for, for Barcelona, he became even more of an idol. And in international soccer, it was Zinedine Zidane. Like even when he was even before he moved to Real Madrid, when he was with Juventus. Just the class and the touch he had, because everything was so simple. He made it look so simple that those were my my three like references of what soccer should have been like. Zidane's one of my like I, I I can still watch YouTube videos of Zidane. Him and Xavi, like I love Xavi yeah. also. Yeah, the way the, it's like a they play with like a certain grace. Like it's, it's just hard to describe the way they play. Is the is the elegance and the proficiency? I I, I like I like to call it like it's so easy. they made it look so easy because none of none of what they do is actually easy. But right. They make it look so poised and with such like perfect timing that it makes you think like oh my god like they actually control the game. Right. All right. The last question, and then we'll just move on to Chivas. Um, what's been your favorite career experience so far? Because we I read up a couple of things. You know, you've done the World Cup, you've done um, Youth World Cups, you're doing Chivas now, um, Olympics. Just your Olympics. Just your favorite career experience so far? Um, I think the the my top two, to, to, to be fair, one was definitely being <clears throat> at the Mexico-Germany game in Russia. I was, I was not supposed to work that game. I was supposed to be at the fan zone, actually, like way far from the stadium. And... Suddenly, something changed in the logistics, and they asked me to come to the stadium. So by by the time the game was over, because it was Father's Day, I was supposed to do a piece on try to find families who were uh, dad and son at the game, right? Mm-hmm. So I ended up driving to Lushniki, and luckily enough, I was able to like go in and watch the game in our studio because we had a beautiful studio in the corner of, of Lushniki Stadium facing the field, and that was my first national team game. Ever official. I, I watched the I, I covered the national team a lot of times uh, on friendlies, 
but I've never been able to sit down and watch a, an actual game because most of the times that I actually did games, I was usually in the truck, so I never got to be there. So that was the first one, and and that my first official game for Mexico ever is an actual win against Germany in the World Cup. Like it, that'd be that's hard to be like pop. But then last year, uh, when I got the opportunity to go to the to the FIFA Women's World Cup, that one I was in charge of the broadcast basically, or at least for the for the part that was on site, and just the responsibility and see the growth of of women's soccer in general in the world. Like that game on the quarterfinals between the U.S. and France in Paris. The stadium was packed. The atmosphere, everything was fantastic. Like, that game right now, a lot of people who undermine women's soccer, if they had been at that game, you could not tell the difference. It's soccer is soccer. And just how that World Cup brought everybody together, I think that's still the biggest highlight I ever got from working on, on what I'm working for now. Yeah, Telemundo did a really good job with the Women's World Cup too. Like I was, I was a big fan of how NBC and Telemundo covered that. And you're right, like that, that that World Cup opened eyes to a lot of soccer fans about you know the quality and what women can actually do in the game. Yeah, and then the amount of people who actually went to the, went to the game, especially on the on the U.S. fans, uh, the the Dutch had a lot of people there, British fans. It was it was it was pretty crazy, and then. Once the semifinals and the final were in Lyon, um, having those that stadium packed with like sixty thousand people cheering for for women players, I think to me it was it was just amazing. Um, the Mexico Germany game. Can you like describe what it felt when Chukulosano scored that goal? As a fan, I mean, not and not just that, but then the follow up would be, and you know, I mean, we know Mexico's history. How confident were you that they would hold on to it, the lead? I mean. The the first 15, 20 minutes, uh, it was very tense. But once those 15 minutes passed, I kid you not, I don't know how it looked on television, obviously, because I, w- I was there. But the speed that Mexico was like showing, it was insane. They were flying. Everybody was flying. I could not believe it. Every single play was on point, And the, the, they will make like Joshua Kimmich look slow. And that's, that, to me, that was insane. And once Chucky scores on that play, and again, that play looks even much faster in real life than you watch it on, on a monitor. Because for whatever reason, um, I mean, a lot of a lot of us have been at the stadium. And if you ever watch a game on, on television and then you actually watch it live, you realize that the speed is completely different. There's something on, on how the camera uh, slows down the game a little bit that that changes everything. Right. That's and, 10 pounds, that's why. Oh, okay. <laughs> trust me i know that (laughs) (laughs) but um once the first half was over i think it was at least on the last 20 minutes i was a little concerned because germany started like pushing and pushing and pushing and there was that also that free kick by tony cross that had like a nasty save on on the upper corner um but there was something like five ten minutes from the end that you were like okay this is happening like they're actually going to win their opening game against Germany. Like, this is the thing. And just like how everybody was feeling, like, the people... There was a mixture between excitement and, like, I can't believe it, of Mexican fans just coming out of the Luzhniki Stadium. There was... It was priceless. Yeah, I'll be honest. I gave Mexico, like, zero chance heading into that game. I was in complete shock after... um, Man, Hector Herrera was a boss that game. And it's weird because I feel like a lot of us so-called couch experts, and now that I'm calling in from my house, I'm more than a couch expert than I was before. (laughs) Um, It was insane to me, the fact that at the end it happened the exact same way because of that horrible loss against Sweden. But technically we all all thought that it was going to be, okay, they lose to Germany, most likely. If they can pull a tie, that's great. They have to beat Korea, and then you have to beat uh, Sweden. But then also how luck plays against you. I actually, uh, while I was at the World Cup, I was actually the, the field reporter for Argentina. So I followed Argentina during the World Cup. I was actually not in charge of Mexico. I just happened to be at that game that day. Uh-huh. And Argentina qualified with four points and like scratching it against Nigeria in the last 10 minutes. Mexico won their first two games and they were like asking for time at the end. Like what happens? Well, that's not fair. <laughs> it's just the way it plays out. You're right. It's just the way luck there's so much luck that goes into like the drawings and, and where you who you're gonna face in the next round and stuff like that. 
yeah, and then some things get out, you know, they get thrown out of whack because uh, in our case, even even on that draw, you knew that it was going to be either Spain or Brazil. And it's like, seriously, who gets who always gets round of 16 against like top 10 teams? Like, why can't we never get a Sweden or a Switzerland right. or a Ghana or something that... No, those are, those are tough too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, like, <laughs> but the point is that it's different... No, I know what you mean. That, that, you don't, ...that you don't know than actually going straight into the teams that you will have to beat on a quarterfinal or on a semifinal. Yeah, because when you look at the next group, like you said, you see Spain, you see Brazil, and it's like... Like, you almost lose, you almost lose hope looking at the next group over. It just makes it tougher, and and, right. and and it's hard because you also you also need to think that even though you had to play every game to the max, World Cups are such a different beast and are such a hard tournament because of the turnaround of games and the little time you have to recover. That yes, you might go out all out against Germany, but then if you don't have legs for the third game and you have to play Brazil. It's like well, there's just so much I can do. That's so true. Like you don't know how much one game takes out of you going into the next game. And and it's not only the game because sometimes you know you could you could lock up and for example Mexico played that day in, in Moscow and Moscow was kind of cool because it actually rained a little bit before so the temperature wasn't crazy but you were playing Sochi and that day there was a heat wave like that's that's not on anybody like how could you know that you're gonna play on ninety degree weather with like eighty percent humidity Yeah, there's a lot of things as fans we don't take into consideration when we're watching on TV like like you said like recovery for players. In the World Cup, everything's like so short, like a lot of short resting periods. We don't take that into consideration as fans, like as couch experts, as you said, uh, Carlos. <laughs> yeah, and then also the traveling. You also, and even with first division teams, like Achivas, uh, America, Grosul, on a regular tournament, even though you have that week in between, you can also look up if you're getting closer to Liguilla, and let's say you're actually, for example, if you're Pumas or America, if your last two games are actually Pachuca and Toluca, that's an hour drive. While if you actually had to go to play Tijuana and then, I don't know, Merida for the Copa, you're actually putting your players through like six, seven hour flights. Yeah, so all those things, all that, yeah. all that makes a difference. Yeah, we never really, we never really take that into consideration now that I think about it. We just assume they're ready to go when they step on the pitch, but you don't know like, what's like, going on in the background. It's funny because in football, in football, and I know we haven't talked about it, but Carlos covers NFL as well. Uh, in football, that's a big deal when a, a team from the West Coast plays on mm-hmm. the East Coast, and because now they're playing 10 a.m. games versus 1 1 p.m. games, and it it makes a it makes a huge difference. And most a lot of times, West Coast teams do not play well. On, on the East Coast. Yeah, actually, the Niners last year, if I'm not mistaken, they had that game because they started against Tampa, and then I think they were playing Cincinnati or somebody else in the East Coast. They actually didn't fly back. They stayed in Tampa because they, they, they had that whole week on the East Coast, and they're like, why would we fly all the way back to the West Coast to then come back? So they just stayed they just stayed where they were and then just flew into the town. I think it was like that day before or something like that, and I think that was actually very smart on, on Kyle Shanahan's. Side. Yeah, and we, we really don't take that into consideration when we, when we think about about uh, soccer, uh, at least not in at least not in Mexico. Um, but I'm sure it has a similar effect for teams like teams like Tijuana that have to travel all the way across the country uh, through multiple time zones um, to play. Although Chivas always plays terrible against Tijuana. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, lately we've been playing terrible against everybody. I think. Everybody. <laughs> um, you know, I've I've been doing the like the Instagram posts and stuff of, of head to heads, and I'm like every time I'll put it in the group chat, I'll be like, "Are we good against anybody? Like we have terrible records against everybody." Well, <laughs> this isn't the best of us, bad. Carlos. Yeah, <laughs> we've, we've been better. <laughs> Trust me, it's been a bad three well, years. I, I I've been there too, but um, to just like kind of like blow my old corn on the Telemundo side. Uh, in the ten years that I've been I've been working for Telemundo, and, and in previous years when when we actually had the rights to, to Pachuca and Leon, you gotta remember that we got Leon and they won the championship back to back. Then we got Pachuca, and Pachuca won against Monterrey on that ninety third minute. And I'm not saying she was gonna win. But... <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you can I mean, bet on it. Same. Like, like, <laughs> Carlos, if you're gonna say that, our last the last time she was was on Telemundo was like dark ages for us. <laughs> <laughs> It wasn't it, Chicharito, it started, Chicharito was still playing. Oh yeah, we we Chicharito came from there, and then 
like Rafa Marquez and Marco Fabian were probably the highlights of that era oh, on Telemundo. True. That is true. I, I remember that. Those uh, there was I think there was uh, I saw it not too long ago, like a couple of days ago. That Rafa Marquez uh, free kick against Leon, that was definitely on the air. <laughs> oh yeah, that that was us. We tweeted that out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, <laughs> <laughs> the official voice of Chivas fans in the U.S. Man. <laughs> you should just, you know, you should just tell it. I know, I know. Chivas now it has its own Twitter handle, and they might be a little, you know, Do resistant they? about it. <laughs> we'll fight them. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, Community manager, best me wins. Oh no, we got that. Yeah, that's easy for us. We got, we the, got, we got the meme battle. <laughs> Um, I mean, now, now that we're talking Chivas, Carlos, um, what, are, what are your thoughts on Chivas two games into the season? Uh, we played Leon on Telemundo, and then we played Santos this weekend. But uh, I don't. we haven't really looked at that good these last two games. No, and one of the things that, I mean, this, unfortunately, all the players that they're missing for, for COVID reasons, I think it's, it's the biggest hit on the team. Because if you watch what they did with the... Torneo por México, la Copa GNP, whatever it was called, they look very, they look very good. I did criticize them a little bit in the sense that you know, even though beating America was good and scoring four goals, it, it wasn't better. The fact that you cannot beat Tigres and Cruz Azul puts you a, one step behind in trying to like go for the title. But coming to the in the actual season, you know, Mexican season is really weird. Things can happen. You can win a stretch of like three, four, five games and already be qualified. So I actually saw them. I actually like what I saw. I thought Macias was was a good was a good idea um, for him to be back and be in shape. So he will he will give a lot to the team, and then having Brizuela and Angulo on the sides, like all those things. I think they were gonna play in the speed that they were playing in. Beltran was doing a very good job, and I was really excited about it coming into the season. But then all the all the COVID misses started happening, right? And that that is hard because teams in Mexico are not deep. In, and in, in general, it not, doesn't matter who it is. Like even a Tigres or a Monterrey that have one of like the most uh, deep uh, rosters in the whole in the whole tournament, they actually will suffer with the same. You had three, four, five starters missing, and then you have to bring good people from the bench, which are usually you know what you're trying to bring in to make changes and adjustments. But then all of a sudden, you're missing the starting the starting guy. You bring the guy who subs him. You have to do what Chivas did. You have to bring two kids from the academy and and try to give them some minutes and and, and play with a patch, and that's what happened. That's exactly what happened against Santos, and also going to uh, moving all the way to Torreon again with the same thing. Like we didn't know when Oribe Peralta was in, and then he was, and then Saldivar was fine, but then like two days later he was not able to go. Like all those things on your planning start changing. So little by little, then I had to adjust. He has two days to adjust. He's already traveling. He gets to a really difficult field with a really good team, especially when they're home. And that's why they look the way they look. And I think this Puebla game is going to be a, a little more of a, a testament of why, what Chivas can do with what they have. It's not what I was expecting of them, but also it's not technically their fault because, I mean, there's not really anybody to blame for the COVID cases. But I think if they can put a good showing against Puebla, that will be the standard of, okay, this is how we have to beat these teams. And once we settle with that and make those points, we can think of how we're going to beat the contenders. Yeah, I think I think it's been really difficult on J.J. Macias. Like you said, he had that good preseason tournament, and then it, it seemed him and Alexis Vega were starting to get that chemistry, and then they just mm-hmm. ripped that from him. And, and you could see he, he struggled. He struggled a lot. And there's something that I don't... I had not paid attention uh, to Macias, or at least it didn't look that way. And I think it's also around the, the supporting cast that he has around. One of the things that I think Chivas is lacking and is not helping is that when they had to move to this new formation where they're actually playing with Molina and El Gallito, and you have to play with two defensive midfielders, instead of having that triangle that they were using before with Beltran and maybe like Brizuela there or Lopez there or somebody else, that actually allowed him to have a little more space because the way that a defense will come and try to like counter that is that one of the central defenders has to step up. So at that point, you're making Macias get on a one-on-one. When you have those two guys behind it, you're making Macias jump in between them, and now he's being covered by both. And when they try to play the ball out wide, 
that's still not helping because you don't get him involved in the game. And I think even though Macias is a very good um, finisher, he also needs those plays into the space. He's very good into finding that space, using his body and like taking it forward so that he can get shots. Because one of the biggest things that he has is the, the strength he has on his shot and, and taking shots for far. He's not so much of a finisher in, inside the box uh, like Chicharito that will find a ball bouncing and just flip it in. So yeah. I think that's I something think that, that is playing against him. I th- and I think that part of that is criticism for Luis Fernando Tena, who is playing such a defensive style with two defensive midfielders and really nobody, nobody ahead of them to create or to distribute. And I get it. You have the COVID cases, um, so you, you are lacking some talent. But you, are, but you are, they aren't the deepest teams. But you do have players on the bench who you could sub in for a gallito and have them play. Who who, who are able to distribute the ball, i.e., Miguel um, Pando, Chofi uh, Lopez, um, and I think that's when Chivas has been most successful in the Luis Fernando Tena, Tena era, it has been when he has that that player in the middle that links up the strikers and the defensive midfielders, somebody in between them. And I think like part of the reason that Chivas has been struggling is because of poor decision making on Luis Fernando Tena's um, roster uh, lineups. You also take in consideration who you're playing. I mean, we'll see. How, I don't see. I don't see Luis Fernando because I. I think I talked about it with Manuel Sol before the season started. I. I actually uh, we did a we did a uh, Instagram live and we talked about this. And he was telling me that he the the one thing he doesn't like about Tena is you know like he thinks very conservative. But I think with all the cases that he had, I, I guess against Leon, to me it made sense that he was putting that just because of how Leon was set up. And even though it was a zero zero. The fact that they were actually be able to contain Montes and contain Mena, even though like they let him lose twice and he missed absolutely horrendously, and you know that yeah, they should have won. <laughs> but even even with that, they were they were doing a pretty good job just hold, just holding those those gaps. And at that point, that's what you had to do. But I I do agree that maybe you could you know you could try to experiment keeping the the same form that you had because at some point at least in the in the Copa for, for Mexico they actually had that triangle in the middle. But I think it's because he feel Tena feels more comfortable with Beltran being able to play that like um, interior where it's more like what Nectar Herrera does like he can actually come and defend but then he also like links up in the attack and that lets that Yeter Villalpando or a Conejito or somebody open to actually handle the ball and that's something that he's he's not trying right now more out of what i feel like he thinks he has more than what he could do but hopefully i mean probably is going to be missing tabo which is one of his best players because of the red card so if again if there's a time to like try to experiment and, and like go for it it has to be the game yeah it'll be interesting if he goes with a more defensive lineup with sticks with gallito or or if he, like you said if he tries he puts in the Vialpando or, or he tries something well, that different would, just, that, to, just to see if they can respond. That was, that honestly, was the frustrating part, right? Luis of the Santos game because he just put out basically the same thing. And like the disconnect between the midfield and the front line was obvious again. We weren't, yeah, my, my, we weren't threatening at all. Yeah, my issue was with we, the basically the same issues we saw against, Santo, against Santos. Oh, no, against Leon is what we saw against Santos. There's this, like, the lack of offense being created. And for him to do it again, it's like I hope he doesn't do it a third time. But he's the one in charge. And it's mainly because he puts a lot of, I think a lot of the game is played on the, played on the wings, right? They they've been trying to use Angulo a lot, whether it's Conejo or whoever puts outside on the on the right, and that that seems to be the the key part that is not really functioning because Angulo has been been trying to participate a lot, but he's actually not being deep on those runs. So he actually hasn't even been able to put those crosses for Matias. And when he, you're playing when you playing the ball that wide, you actually disconnect Matias from the game. Mm-hmm. Do you think that being that Angulo was kind of like the revelation of the Copa por Mexico tournament, you think that that kind of, you know, put teams on notice that you know, this is 
how they're going to try to attack now. And that's what, kind of what's been the issue with Angulo since the season has started. Like that, that they figured out, you know, what this is what they're going to they're going to play on the wings now because they have the speed. You know, let's try to eliminate that, and then maybe that's why Angulo hasn't looked as good as he looked in but, the preseason. But I think it's I think it's obvious when you look at the lineup. I, I'm sure when when the opposing teams see Gallito and Molina. As two midfielders, they're not worried about plays down the middle. They know it has to come from the wings. Yeah, but still, you're you're trying to put the confidence in. I mean, when Angulo and, and, and Calderon were playing both with Necaxa, they, they were flying, and yeah. it didn't matter. It didn't matter when they take you on a one-on-one, and it happens because one of the things of the Mexican league is that you they're organized and tactically they're sound, but you'll find a one-on-one. And, and Angulo has not been able to. And I think he, he they interviewed him a couple of weeks ago. Right, I think it was right before the, the Leon game. And he said that he has that pressure where he feels like he's been lacking. Not so much on this season, but why he couldn't do the 10 games prior when when he just moved from Necaxa to Chivas. There's there's some pressure. And playing with playing with that shirt, it, it, it's heavy. It's not it's not easy. You You have to think that... Regardless of how the team is doing, there's still a lot of fans. There's still you're still in the news. There's still people paying like paying attention to what you're doing, and he has he has to shake that off at some point and try to be that individual player that can take on a one on one and make a difference. Let's let's hope when Beltran and you know, Alexis Vega come back, that solves a lot of the issues because, like you said, they started to show some of that chemistry. I mean, they had. Was it against America where Antuna had the beautiful yep. play where he plays it into Vega? Yep. Vega plays it a one-two with Macias and he scores. So hopefully, hopefully it's just the the, the players missing that that when they come back this will change. And Speaking even though there's of... sorry, even sorry. though there's there's, oh, there's there's some depth on the on the roster in that sense, like you see the players and obviously you know when you think Adieter Villalpando is a good player, it is not the same where the players are doing well, like. Beltran had fine because Beltran started before and he was not fantastic and all of a sudden he he just clicked right. He He's found, my favorite. He's my favorite. <laughs> all of a sudden things clicked and he started playing really well and I, and I love what he was doing. But it took him it took him time to get to that to that level to be in that position. So there was a point where at, at least on on the preseason where it seemed like the the Vega Angulo Beltran thing started to click. And when you find those things, you you gotta roll with it. So even though you have players that technically on paper they will they will function because they play the same the same position. I mean, if you really think about Dieter Villalpando, as much as I love Dieter, I think he's a great player. I think he has a lot of condition. He actually is from that same group where you have Pizarro, where you have El Chucky, and where you have um, Guti. 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 Yeah. So. All those three exploded, regardless whether Pizarro decided to go to Miami or not. The fact that all three players exploded, he was on that group and he was never able to actually like shine like they did. So there was always that little click that wasn't working, while Vega was already running on what he had done with Toluca and he was doing it very well with you. Yeah, I think I think uh, Fernando Beltran has taken like that next step up in his career. He's, I mean, he's just, like I said, he's one of my favorite players, probably my favorite player on Chivas. The way he's been able to control the midfield. You, playing next to actually, he's like the perfect partner next to Molina. Mm-hmm. All right, Carlos, you actually made a comment about the weight of of the Chivas jersey, and as a former center back, Chivas Sepulveda has you know was kind of the revelation last last season, and he's kind of been struggling this season. Um, you know, what do you what do you think? the fans should really expect of a, of a 21-year-old center back, you know, who's been, uh, you know, has made some mistakes this season, but is still relatively new in his career. I mean, the the biggest issue is that I, I always said it. The problem when you play on, on the center back position or you're a defensive midfielder is that you can go and clean three mistakes from your teammates or – 25 mistakes from your teammates. But if you make that one mistake because of the position where you're playing, everybody's going to notice. So that's something you have to live with. And obviously with experience, things things get better. Now, at 21 years old and after watching him a little bit and 
obviously he's he's a he's very good to be a professional player which is something that i've it's hard to explain to people because other people say oh he, like you always have those couch uh analysts who tell you like oh because this player sucks well no that you can never say that about a professional player because if you actually were next to him and you see him handle the ball and, and do what he does you realize that he's he definitely you can't say that about him but i do think that he's missing a little bit and he's just on the positioning to take that next step what i'm trying to say with that is that i do think he can consolidate as being a starter in in the mexican league maybe maybe with chivas but I don't see him going further than that. I don't see him becoming a Nector Moreno, a Rafa Marquez, like that part is hard. And you saw it with El Pollo Briseño, which is actually on Chivas too. After Pollo had that awesome U17 uh, World Cup, then he got lost a little bit with Tigres just because Lucas Retti doesn't like to play youngsters. And then when he went to Portugal, he was doing well, but there's something that is not clicking there. And the problem also when you're in that position, it's, it's the people around you. And the fact that you have those changes where Angulo was there and maybe when Angulo was playing very well and you had Brizuela helping you, that makes your job easier. But all of a sudden you have Chapo and then Chapo might miss that mark or two or maybe Brizuela is not playing, so there's another gap there. And I remember I played clearly, I think it was against Cruz Azul, where they crossed the ball and Antuna misses it completely. He tries to go in the air, flies for it, misses it. And all of a sudden, you find a 21-year-old playing against one of the most experienced forwards in the league with like 10 yards in front of him. So you also have to think of those things where, yes, he has a lot of space to grow. I I think he's missing a little bit to be an elite player, but it's also to try to like give him the confidence that the rest of the team needs to help him out, especially when you're the young one on such a responsible position. Do you, you think that's an issue in Mexico with center backs and teaching them positioning? Because, I mean, you see it a lot. Um, Osvaldo Alaniz had positioning issues. I mean, he was a he was center back on the national team. Uh, Diego Reyes. Um, very few guys naturally have a very – I mean, I, I think right now probably the best center back in Mexico – who isn't a center back anymore, really, is Edson Alvarez. Um, but the rest of them really have a lot of deficiencies. When Mexico was one of those countries where you would have good center backs, i.e. Claudio Suarez, uh, Dulio Davino, Rafa Marquez. Yeah, then um, Ricardo Osorio was also a yeah. center back, and he was, Sa- he was very Sa- good. Sacido. Um, so, and no, it seems like that. Nah, I, you know, it, it happens, and it's, and it's actually like a worldwide phenomenon. Because if if you really pay attention to the to the teams in Europe, if you had to single them out, say like these guys elite beyond your Sergio Ramos, your Virgil Van Dijk, and and maybe Koulibaly, I don't think anybody else is like at that caliber. Where it's like, oh, it doesn't matter if the left back or the right back is gone, you're fine. It's really hard to be in that position. It's almost impossible. And especially with the speed and the quality of, of, of other players. And it also de- depends on the systems. If you have, for example, Chivas likes to use their, their fullbacks to go up a lot in general. And I think it was against America I noticed that there was certain... They were trying to protect Sepulveda by making Ponce pinch in. So he would come in and basically pinch in like as a third center back and have Angulo come down, which was also a lot of because that's a really long uh, run to make like every single time you have to defend mm-hmm. but but more than the positioning it, it, it's also in the system and and just the quality you know you go through those you, you go to those times sometimes you don't have elite players because if you want to the other problem is that you always want to compare them to your best and you can't do that like Rafa Marquez was one of a kind Hector Moreno must, might be a step lower, but he was also European quality for many years. So you can't really base how these guys are doing compared to that. It has to be on their own realm. And I think it's more of how coaches coach more than how players position themselves. Edvaro, I interrupted um, you earlier. <laughs> I apologize. No, it's fine. No, I was saying um, you guys are bringing up you know, the toll that a Chivas jersey takes on the player. And today, Chofis came out in the interview and, you know, he said that he's seeing a sports psychologist 
because you know he, you know he came into the season a little overweight, so you know the jokes were, were being made. No, exactly, the, the jokes were being made. Um, you know he's being highly critiqued. He brought up you know the Leon game. He said I only played seven minutes. Like I don't know what people expect me to do in those seven minutes. And but you know you see that these players pay attention to the media, especially in Mexico. Like the Mexican media is like really really tough on players. And, like, you can see the mental health toll it takes on players. So, I, I'm sure a player like Sepulveda, like, you know, he, he sees this too, right? That we're criticizing him or that fans are skeptical of him. And, you know, Chelsea's the proof. He came out today and said, you know, I'm seeing a sports psychologist. You know, um, I think fans are highly critical of me, but, you know, but not of other players. So, it's something I think we're going to start to see a little bit more of. I think one of the biggest issues that we have in, in Mexico's fans, and it's and it's not normal. It's not something that happens everywhere. Because sometimes, you know, some teams might go against their own players, but it's only when the player does something to the team. And we're the only people who actually turn against our players because they're not performing. Instead of trying to cheer them up, we like bringing them down, which is not our job as fans. And in the, I understand when when in the media they 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 are hypercritical because of how media works, but I also think that the problem we have in, in, in Mexico is how we bring a player too high. Chopis was being compared to Messi. Yeah. Like, who does that? I see, I see nothing I mean, wrong I with see that. Have you seen his left foot? <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's the thing. Like, I, there's, there's a point where as much as these guys make a lot of money and they're on a the field and yes, they're there for your entertainment, there are people. They, and, the only, I think that the advice I have for the players is like, as much as I will hate it, it's like, guy, don't listen to me. Just turn off your Twitter. <laughs> don't pay attention to the mentions and just go do your job. Like, just you can't be focusing like on every single thing they're they're telling you. But it happens, and, and it, it is part of it is part of their job to to make sure that the fans are happy and the the team is happy. So. I actually think it's very brave of him of going and looking for help, which is something that we undervalue a lot, not only in sports, but I think in, in Hispanic uh, mm -hmm. culture in general. We don't take care of our mental health. We don't we don't think of it as something that we should do. So I commend him for that. I think that's a great that's a great choice. The weight thing, I have no idea what he was doing in the preseason, and I'm no one to judge him. I've been locked up for three months. We've all, we were all watching Netflix. <laughs> exactly, for the, and, and for the past month, I actually haven't been. I, I try to stay in shape. I try to work out, but the past month, I've been sitting here and ordering takeout like every day. <laughs> so I, I'm no one to go and say, "Oh yeah, he definitely should be more professional." And the fact that a lot of people like turn against him and Sepulveda and like single them out, you know, as fans, we can't do that. I I think it should be backwards. If they're not doing well, you might be like, "Well, but they have this guy," and unless you see like there's a completely preference of somebody who's completely underperforming and there's this amazing guy that you have that every time comes in does something and there there could be a comment there which happens all the time i i think like destroying your own players and their own psyche and and their own mental health from the inside from your own people who are supposed to be their fans that's something that we really need to work on yeah like even like we tweeted i tweeted it out about um you know i the that trophy said that and People in our mentions, oh, that that tronco, 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 like <laughs> it's just negativity. And and it's also like I found I found it late. I mean, I try to be active in, in in social media. I try not to engage too much with with bad comments. Usually, I don't have many, also because I don't have a lot of followers. But that's a different conversation. <laughs> um, but whenever you have something that resonates and like it clicks, or or, or I say something that people come, I I've noticed a lot that, and this is very, I mean, it happens everywhere. But it's very Mexican. Is the fact that we think because you go and play your Sunday league mm -hmm. and you do well on your Sunday league, <laughs> you can compare yourself to a professional athlete. Like I you just can't? don't understand. It. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, like, oh, if I was there, like if you were there, you would not see the ball. <laughs> oh, let me you know, let me tell you this, Carlos. I I, I play a good FIFA game. All of a sudden, I know everything. So. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Well, my, player, my players in FIFA play good even when they're tired. <laughs> hey, listen, I put Carlos Justis as a captain of Real Madrid, Manchester United, Barcelona, Juventus, you name it, and he's leading scorer of the season. Right? <laughs> I know better. Well, that's let, let, me ask, <laughs> let me ask a question. Um, 
being that you you do have some like professional experience playing or um how important do you think right now that by is maybe going through like a little rough patch is the confidence from then on keeping him because most of the times you see that there maybe is a lack of confidence in young Mexican players that they struggle to to break through onto first team. So how do, how important do you think that is? I mean, the only thing that you always have to be aware of, and that's on Chivas' side, is that you're okay with having that rough patch and having the coach nurture you and and kind of guide you through it, especially when you're that young. The only thing you really need to pay attention is that you have El Pollo Briseño sitting right there. If he picks it up with the European experience and everything, you're going to be sitting down. And that happens, and that's normal, and that's part of the job. So that's the only thing that you have to always have in the back of your mind. Like, this is fine. This is a rough patch. I need to, I need to, you know, not not make a big deal of it and work through it. But I need to realize that I'm in a professional environment, and there's a guy who wants my spot because everybody wants your spot. Even if you have a really good relationship with them, every single time you step on that field, there's somebody behind you that wants your spot. And if he's not that guy who's sitting on the bench, there's a hundred thousand kids on those U17s, U20s, and go on in, in the lower divisions that want your spot. So it is a, it is a big responsibility, and it is part of that psychological like um, training and, and, and motion to put you where you're supposed to be. So it's locking everything out, not paying attention to it, basically anybody's saying, and just make me work it with Tena, work it with your teammates, say, hey, listen, I'm not comfortable doing this. I think I'm missing this. How can we work it out? Because at the end of the day, the guy who's standing next to you, he's on your team. And when you win, you all win. When you lose, you all lose. And you're all going to get criticized. So there's nothing wrong with like coming up and being like, hey, listen, how can we work, make this work? What am I not What am I not grasping? And if it's something that is just personal, like very individual mistakes, like you miss ball constantly and whatever, I mean, sometimes you just got to sit on the bench and realize that that was, that was your opportunity and, and it will hopefully come back. Right, I, I think he's in a good position, like you said. He has Pollo Briseño behind him, and if he, if he is able to get through it, and he does beat out Pollo Briseño, then okay, this kid got something. And if he doesn't, then it's okay to sit back behind with somebody who has European experience, and maybe you do learn. Maybe he does need his time on the bench. Yeah, and, and it's part of the process, and you're never gonna be always a starter. I mean, unless you're an absolute beast. You know, there's players like that, and it's fine. Right. But when you're just and, and everybody who was starting, Messi didn't start every game when he was 19 point, like 18 years old. He, you could already tell that he was a beast, but right. he was not. He was not that player. You, you need to consolidate into being that player. So at that point, sometimes say, "Listen, you're making a lot of mistakes. Let me sit you down and and figure it out and learn from this guy. Even if the other guy is not that great, at least from being outside, you can realize like, oh, he's doing this that I was doing wrong." And I was doing this wrong, and I can see how this, he does this better, and that that's part of the of the learning curve too. Um, all right, just to bring him back, maybe a little more to Telemundo. Um, you know, we're we're a fan, we're a podcast uh, by the fans for the fans, uh, Carlos. So we have to ask you, um, the broadcast quality on Telemundo is is it HD? Because we had fans complaining about. The picture of it, <laughs> or at, no, not at, they asked us if it what channel was HD, and I mean, I thought it was HD when I saw it. Um, I mean, I I really don't understand. Uh, I I don't have an actual answer. What I can tell you is that yes, the the whole broadcast, regardless whether it's on our app or it's on air or whatever you're getting it, it it, it is broadcasted in HD. Now, I do understand not everybody get the channel the same way you might get it through an antenna you might use different right. platforms to get it so it also sometimes you know it doesn't take a lot to call your company and say hey listen i'm trying to watch this channel it is an hd why am i not getting it and most likely if, <laughs> there might be a service that you're getting that it's like well because you're not paying for hd right <laughs> <laughs> and that might be an answer and you might not want to hear it but at least you have the answer right and yeah, yeah. i can tell you the, the easiest way to do it just get it over the air Telemundo is over the air. It's an over-the-air channel. Get your antenna, put it up, and that will sort out a lot of problems. But if, if, if a lot of people, because I, I saw that question too, and if a lot of people have that question, I think the easiest way is just call your cable company or however you're, you're receiving the Telemundo signal and, right. and ask. But I, I can't tell you from both sides, from being on air and actually producing the game since we started going each in 2008. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
the broadcast is completely HD. And actually, right now uh, in Telemundo Network, they have a state-of-the-art facility that can guarantee you that that's crisp. All right. Well, there you have Maybe it. Guys. My TV is just too big. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you got a smaller TV like Rob. <laughs> you got to go back to tube TVs. Yeah. Sometimes that you know. Sometimes simple is the best answer. <laughs> um, and Carlos, uh, for like in the future, do you can you talk about what the Lemundo plans to do with Chivas content-wise, English-wise? I mean, um, is it just broadcast, or do you guys have like other plans? You don't have to say I, specifically, but no, I, I actually, I was, I was telling, I was, I was telling you guys this. I am, I am actually out, out of the loop in, in, in the obviously, like I'm just, I'm just the guy who comes to games, so I'm not equipped with all that information. Right. Uh, right now, what I can tell you is that the games are gonna have the SAP, uh, the SAP option every game. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're gonna be able to see that. And there, there might be some other games that you will be able to see on on NBC Sports Network. I again, I don't have information on how, how that is because that's that's not my position. But I, I can tell you that one of the things that uh, Chivas and, and Telemundo are really trying to work on is to have a, a really robust um, relationship and try to make the Chivas brand shine as much as we can in the U.S. So I'm I'm sure the the people who made the decisions, who are definitely not me, um, are putting those 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 plans together, and and hopefully there's a there's a lot coming up because obviously we're we are the the home of Chivas in, in the U.S. and that that will include every step of Chivas from from their youth teams to their women's team to to the men's team and and everything that surrounds what what's the Chivas brand. So so the first game against Leon. Um, as you mentioned, the game came with the SAP option. So you just listen to it in English. And uh, I'm the oldest one on the podcast, so I'm going to figure out the remote. <laughs> out of the um, I mean, I'm not that old, but I we, we just couldn't figure it out. Luis is my brother. We were watching it together. We, we couldn't figure it out. Uh, and then I noticed the game came on NBC Sports after the game had already ended. Um I mean, obviously, I, I know you're not a decision maker, but it, uh, has there been talks about you know airing the games live on NBC Sports as well? Like, no, if you're looking for that, I again, I don't, I don't have any information on, on that. Uh, I know for a fact that the the idea it's also because you gotta you gotta think about a branding perspective. Like we are Telemundo, we have to be within the Telemundo umbrella, so yeah. that's why. Telemundo is in charge of broadcast, and that's why the SAP is included on the Telemundo broadcast. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing I do have for the SAP recommendation, which I noticed later and after talking to a couple of people, is that if you have your setup boxes set up in English, the English or your box understands that English is your first language. So when you look for the secondary audio option, it's not going to go look for an English uh, channel. And that's uh, and, uh, that's probably what happened with us. Yeah. So if you have your boxes set up in English, uh, technically, if you want to listen to the sub, you have to for that day you have to revert it. You have to set up your box in Spanish, and then when you look for it, they will give you the secondary audio option in English. There. See, that's that's good to know because now we know because that's definitely that's most likely what happened with us because our our setup is in English, so we couldn't find the, the that option. Sad, yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. That happened even to my parents, so don't don't feel like (laughs) it's a a very technical, very detailed, like non uh, network level question. It's definitely a case on case, like case case basis. See, that's great because we'll be able to tell our our, the people that follow us on Twitter that how to do it now. So that's that's awesome. That that's awesome for me too. (laughs) (laughs) And then I guess we'll wrap. Um, we'll wrap right. up, Carlos, with uh, where do you see Chivas ending at the end of the season, like table-wise? Um, I think if they can recover the players that they're missing, they definitely are a top eight team. Um, are they going to be in the fir- between the first four? That's that's hard to say, especially right now. Mm-hmm. But they'll definitely be on the top eight. I, I can see that roster being capable of being on the top eight, especially the way they were playing the preseason. If this recovery and, and more 
injuries come along or more COVID cases come along, then it's going to be a struggle. However, I still think that given the quality of all the rosters and how pandemic hit most teams in, in, in Mexico, they're definitely between the first 12, right? And this season is weird because you're going to have 12 teams fighting for, for those, for those Liguilla spots. And even though you're not going to be in the first four and qualify directly, you actually have a chance. Because at that point, we all know that the league is a whole different tournament. It's once that that kicks in, every team goes in a different mode, and they start playing differently. So, if they can recover everybody, I definitely see in the top eight. If they don't, I definitely think there it's going to be a struggle to try to get like, like scratch that like 12th, 11th place. If you if they struggle by what week do you see Luis Fernando Tena out? <laughs> <laughs> no. That, 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 and why is it, why is the answer week three? <laughs> no, I I honestly I think uh, having having Tena is actually a, a a blessing. This guy, especially when you have such a young group, he's very good with with developing young players. Um, most of the time, he was in teams that were not that young, and and that also played against him. But he he manages those human those human resources very well, and. One of the things that I think Amari Vergara did very well compared to other times was actually keeping him. Because if you notice, it really didn't make a difference. Like, after Almeida left, they had five coaches in the span of, like, two seasons. That's yeah. never going to be a project that works. So you, sometimes you just have to be patient. And in this case, then I was doing fine. They were, you were, they were fifth place last tournament. And they were just on route to actually win a couple more games and be qualified. So you have to be patient with everything that's going around. And this tournament, honestly, we all want our teams to win. You always want, as a fan, you always want to see them do well. But reality is that this is a distraction for such a much bigger problem that we got that I honestly think that firing Tena will be very responsible given the conditions of the tournament in general, just because of how... It's lacking a lot of stuff, especially on, on the organizational side for, for being COVID-free. That's why we see so many cases. So it's, it's, it's better just to hold on, see what happens. This tournament, I will scratch it as a tournament. You obviously, you obviously have it. The teams have the necessity to make some money, to, to, to bring some cash flow in with all the time that they were not playing. But it, 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 has, to be, it has to be some patience just because of, of, of the world we're living in. What um just follow up on that because um, we see like here well we've seen it hit Liga MX already and we see here with baseball there's like threats from the commissioner that if you don't fix this the season might get canceled. Do you think the season gets fully played out? Do you think we're at the point where like all right there's no turning back now let's just play it out? Um, I mean a week um, week two I I don't think you're in a position where you can't cancel it, but I don't I also don't see enough cases on every single team to make a case for it. Like, even though Chivas has been be pretty hard and we had those, like, nine cases with Juarez and they moved them, you don't, re you don't really know. We The information they give is like, okay, most things are fine and if you have one or two cases, you isolate them. And there might be a spread, but as long as you don't create hubs, like, as long as you don't have a San Luis Cardinals with 14 cases on one sitting or a Miami Marlins with 13 cases on one single sitting, I think you can play out. The, you especially in, in Mexico, most of the infrastructure, because one of those things that actually soccer has in Mexico is, is a very good infrastructure. So if they can contain the few cases that are popping up, as long as not every team ends up being like Chivas, because I also thought there was there was somebody else this season, this week that ended up having the minimal amount of people on the, on, on the bench. So those are the things that you have to you have to take care of. And if, if they can manage to get like by the fourth week with maybe like one or two cases and not being able, not having more spread and, and continuous positive, they will definitely play it out. And honestly, I don't think it should have been played from the beginning. I would have waited a little more. Right. But, you know, this is where we are. Yeah. What, what worries me is a situation like Dena, you know, who's a, someone older. Um, and luckily, everything came out fine with Dena. But, you know, you always run that risk. And that's the only thing that worries me is that, you know, coaches have they're the older demographic that you never know what could happen. And not only that, I mean, you saw you saw Antuna the the severe consequence that that he, he, he was having some very like hardcore symptoms. He's and, so young. 
and, and fake. Regardless, one one of the things that this virus has brought is that nobody's safe. There's no guarantee that because you're an elite athlete and you're in the best shape of your life and you continuously eat well and whatever, this is not going to hit you and it's not going to take a toll and send you to a respirator. We don't know that. Right. So taking chances is what, what we don't have. And even though these guys kind of live in a different bubble than we do, it, I think that's a, what's happening to them is a testament of why we should take care of ourselves and why we should help to try to prevent this so they don't have to suffer from it and we can keep our soccer. Yeah, I was very surprised to see Antuna come back already for um, the Santos game. And then I know Chivas has only recovered uh, Cisneros from the last batch of players that got COVID. So, you know, they're not testing double negative right away. And and again, those are those are things that the leagues have to, the league have to sort out and, and see see where they take them. And, and and again, like I I just hope that you don't see these cases you know pl- proliferate and actually like attack more of the players because at the end of the day we we are as fans kind of playing with their health because right. they're they have to be out there doing their job and by being forced to do it, you know that it's it's actually hard on them. Uh, so, guys, do you guys have any more questions for Carlos before we wrap up? Or, Carlos, if you have questions for us. No, I, you know, thank you guys for, for, for inviting me. It's, it's really exciting. Again, it's really exciting for me. This is the first time I do anything in English. Obviously, I've been living here for 14, 15 years, and I'm married to an American. So, my English is somewhat decent. But It's good. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's really exciting to see... I think one of the things that is changing within within the the Latinx communities it's that idea that we we still hold our our traditions and our culture, but we live here and and we we, we speak English and this is this is how it is. So I'm I'm really excited to be to be part of that and, and be part of this new generation and new generation like people like you guys who actually take on the time to to create this new. You know, sources of, of media and content, and, and and I think that's actually great for everybody. Hey Carlos, uh, why don't you, you. tell the people it. your uh, your Twitter and where they can follow? I, I know you made the comment earlier that you need more followers. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's at Carlos Justis, which is my last name, and and that's spelled Y U S T I S T V, and that's in every platform. I it, it's if you find one, you can you can follow me everywhere. And I use mostly Twitter and, and Instagram. Uh, I also have a Facebook page, but you can you can find me there. Yeah, we'll make sure to tag you too when we put out the the podcast. Yeah, sounds good. That way I can can retweet it too and share it. Um, well, all right. Thank you, Carlos, for joining us. Um, you know, it was fun having you on the podcast. Maybe we can link up again in the future. But uh, for now, this has been another episode of the Chivas del Norte podcast. Uh, Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week. We're out.